So how are we doing with this whole idea of simplifying? Yeah? You know, the truth is, it's hard to change patterns overnight, isn't it? I mean, you get these patterns in your life, and it's just hard to change them. And so, uh, for those of you guys who might have been here last week, let me ask you, uh, how many of you walked out of here going, you know, that crazy pastor, I mean, he ain't right about many things, but he's right about this one thing. My life is just too complicated. It's too stressed. It's too overdone. It's too busy. I got to figure out somehow, uh, in some way, to simplify my life. How many walked out of here going, okay, that's me. I got to do that. You know, this whole idea of... Uh, of simplifying one's life has been rattling around in my heart for a while. You know, just this idea of uh, I just have to set new new paces for my life. I have to uh, set new practices and patterns in my life. And uh, I've been kind of rattling this around for, for months now. Um, but I got to tell you, after I left here last week, we talked about this topic. I preached on this topic. And, and I have to admit, um, I stand before you even a greater hypocrite this week. Um, I'm, I'm telling you, I mean, the truth be told, uh, even the last seven days of my life have been over the top busy. It's been one of those weeks that every night of the week when my head hit the pillow, I was just exhausted. I mean, just exhausted. And when I woke up in the morning, I was still exhausted, right? I mean, have you ever had those kinds of weeks where it's just from exhaustion to exhaustion to exhaustion, and that's just the way it is? Um, So let me ask you a question. Do do you uh, feel... Like when you decide to change something in your life, like you decide that you've got to make some big changes, some, some directional sort of changes, that you've got to move on to something bigger and better or greater for your life in some way. Do you ever feel like when you decide to make those changes that there is a greater temptation than ever before to cause you to go in the exact opposite direction than you want to go? You ever feel that way? I mean, you, you think about this idea of, of uh, you know, temptation. Like you, get, like you decide like you're going to go on a diet. I mean, like, this is the week, I'm nailing it down, like, I'm starting Monday, and you're, like, there, but, but doesn't it just seem like that week, there's more temptation than ever? I mean, you got more dates out, you got more nights out, there's more parties to go to, there's more food than ever to pick from. It's like, this temptation just finds you in even a greater way because you've decided to do something about it, right? Like, take this topic of anger. I mean, there's some people here who have decided, you know what, listen, there's part of me, um, it just a, has a, an agitation with people, and it's, a, it's an anger sort of a thing that's rooted somewhere in my life, and, and you decide, like, God just wants to change this in you, and you've got to change this, but it seems like the very week that you say, okay, new direction, new hope, new deal, uh, it doesn't it just seem like that week there's more temptation than ever? I mean, like, your, your boss is jerkier than ever, right? Your neighbors are jerkier than ever. The people around you are more aggravating than ever, Right? I mean, think about this idea of lust. Lust. You know, it, it's, it's interesting because um, God might speak to you and, and you might be going, you know what? I've got to clean up some things in my soul. I've got to clean up some things in my heart. And I want to look at people different. I want, I want to honor God up here in my heart, in my mind, in my soul. And, and, and so you make this decision that you're going to work on this thing. And yet, it seems like every girl you see is prettier than ever. Or every guy you see is more handsome than you can possibly remember, right? It doesn't just seem like this is how it works. When you decide to make a big change in your life, there's more temptation than ever to stay the same. Are you with me on this? Do you feel this as well? Because I think this is absolutely true of of my life. Um, and, And so this call to simplify one's life, at least for me, it, it seems like 
I want this and, and I'm, I'm, I'm aiming for this and yet it seems for me that life is busier and busier and busier and more and more and more complicated. It, it just seems to me that simplifying your life is just not simple, is it? it it's, it's hard and it seems like everything is moving in the opposite direction. Anybody with me on this? Do you feel this about your own life? It just seems like everything is moving in the opposite direction. So there's a few words that I've been rattling around, and we toyed with them a little bit last week. And, and remember, I'm preaching uh, to me first. And if you want to listen in, that's fine. But this is really for me. But, but there's been some words that have been just kind of rattling around. And, and my guess is, is I'm not alone in this, because I've heard many of you even throw these kinds of words around over the last week. Um, uh, these, these three words really come to my mind. Overwhelmed, overwhelmed, overscheduled, and exhausted. You ever feel that way? You're just overwhelmed. It feels like you're swimming in the deep end and you just don't know when it's going to let up and you're trying and you're trying and you're treading water and you're doing everything you can to stay ahead of the game, but it always seems like the game is ahead of you. Anybody ever feel that way? And and you look at your schedule and you go, man, I got some free space coming up and then all of a sudden something else is in that schedule and you are just simply overscheduled. There is no margin at all in your life and and the result of it is absolute exhaustion. You're, you're, You're just exhausted with life. Am I alone in this or are other people feeling this in the room? You're, you're there, right? Um, and so I want you to think about this. Um, I hear these words and it doesn't seem to matter uh, who the person is. I, I hear other people talking about this and it can be young and old. It can be rich and poor. It can be a professional or a housewife. It can be uh, a, a woman or a man. It, it can be Republican or Democrat. This is like a bipartisan issue, right? This issue of simplification of life. It affects humanity. This is a human issue for for almost everybody. And I want you to think about where this would go. If we were to turn these three words into an equation, if you were to put these words into an equation, how would it end? So if you had overwhelmed for long periods of time, right? Overwhelmed, overscheduled, and exhausted for long periods of time, friends, it would not end well, would it? Would it? It would end in disaster. I mean, if you lived like this all the time, overwhelmed, overscheduled, plus exhausted, it would end in disaster for you every single time. You know this. It would end in um, health disaster. It would, it would physically end in disaster for you. It would, it would end in emotional disaster for you. If you live pegged past the red for too long, it doesn't end well for any of us. It's disaster every single time. It's disaster financially. It is disaster relationally. And friends, it is a disaster spiritually. And I'm going to tell you, and I think you get this internally, that if you live way over here all the time, if it's overwhelmed, overscheduled, exhausted all the time, pegged to the max all the time, listen, friends, it will not end well spiritually for you. You will miss God's best for your life. You may get a lot of things done, and you may accomplish a lot of great things in this life. But friends, it is almost guaranteed that you will miss what God wants to do inside of you. You will miss his greatest work inside of you. Your relationship with God will never be all that it is supposed to be if you live in this way all of the time. Um, So remember last week we talked about this idea of hurry. We got around this one word, hurried, and, and, and that's how most of us live. Hurry up, hurry up, hurry up, go, 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 hurry, 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 all of the time. But in the end, listen, we, we, I, I hope you walked away with this. This was the most important part of last week, was that hurry is not a time condition. It's not a time issue. 
It is a heart condition. A hurried heart, a hurried life is a soul issue. It's not a time condition. It's not a time issue. It is a soul issue. It is a heart condition in our lives. And somehow we got to fight this notion of hurry in our life in order to slow down, in order to connect with God. Now, friends, as I think about Jesus and all the people that Jesus had to deal with in his three years of ministry, there's only one person that comes to my mind that I can possibly think of that, um, that Jesus looked at them and kind of made this conclusion. You're in trouble. Your life is heading for an absolute disaster if you keep this overwhelmed way of life, this overscheduled sort of a life, this exhausted sort of a life. And Jesus looks at this person and says, it's not going to end well for you. Anybody know who that person was? It was one of Jesus' friends. It was a lady. Her name was Martha, not Mary. Martha, right? Oh, some of you, come on, man. A uh, little known fact about Jesus. Jesus had tons of admirers. You, you understand this, right? He had tons of people who adored him. He had fans everywhere, right? And, and, and as he went through, you can just do a quick case study of his life. People were around him all of the time, everywhere around him. But Jesus had very few precious close friends. Really, if you study this, I mean, the few that are obvious come to mind, you know, James and John and Peter and, and some of the closest followers, we call them disciples. These are the famous followers of Jesus, right? They were his close friends. They had this confidence with Jesus. But there are three other people that the scripture speaks of several times that had this close abiding relationship. Um, it, it is actually said that Jesus loved them. And, and, and the word used to describe that is this word of friendship, a phileo sort of a love, this brotherhood type of a love. And, and those names were Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. Have you ever heard of them? Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. Now, Mary, Martha, and Lazarus, they were uh, sisters and brother to each other. And they were close friends with Jesus, and he lived in this town called Bethany. It was just outside of Jerusalem. You can go there to this very day. It's this little town just outside of Jerusalem, like a suburb. And they kept this room for Jesus. They, they may have used it for other people, but the scripture leads us in other texts to understand that Jesus would stop at their house, and Jesus would have a relationship with them, that he, that he was friends with them, and they put him up in their home and gave him this kind of place for retreat. And one of the things that, if you track through the book of Jesus, uh, or the, the gospels that tell the story of Jesus, uh, we began to talk about this last week, where, where you'll see that Jesus was in demand, that everywhere he goes, people were following. People were coming up to him. It was an amazing thing. Like he would do like a miraculous thing in one town and he would teach in one town and it would blow the people away. And all of a sudden Jesus would be on his way to another town, but, but rumor had gone out in front of him. And so when he gets there, all these people come running up and you see this in the scripture. They go, whoa, 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 whoa. We heard that you changed water into wine. We heard that you made a blind man see again. Do some magic for us. Do some hocus pocus for us. Come on, go ahead. We'll wait. Go ahead. And you saw this, and and whatever Jesus had to give, all the time, they would take all of that and more from him. Whatever he had to give, they wanted more and more and more and more and more of it. And friends, when you live like that all the time, you eventually get exhausted. You get to the end of your rope. And we began to talk about this idea that Jesus would know when the end of the rope was coming. And he would know when it was time to go and pull back. And so Jesus had this little pattern when he was driving along. He'd go, woo, we're done, pull off to the side of the road. And he would dial it down and dial it back in order, listen, in order to dial it in. 
right? You see, you see this in his life, that he would go find a place to pray and to connect with God, his father. He would go and find a, a, a solitary place where he could go and be alone with some of his closest companions because he needed to recharge his batteries. He needed to recharge his focus, to recalibrate his soul, his life. And this was the pattern of who he, of who he was And so one of the places that we learned that he would go in order to just reconnect, a place where there was trusted friends, where he could go and find some solitude, where he could go and find some security from the crowds, what was the home of Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. And on one particular occasion, Luke, the writer of the gospel that bears his name, he he tells this a, a, the, the story of an account of one time how Jesus goes and visits this brother sisters, you know, trio, right? And and it's recorded in Luke chapter ten. So Luke is making these um, observations. He's re, he's a historian. He's a doctor. He's he's a very learned man, and he's he's figuring out all the things that Jesus needs, putting them down so you and I can see the things that were important to Jesus. And there is this lesson, this principle that just emerges from this little story in Luke chapter 10, starting in verse 38. So I'm just going to read it to you. I'm just going to read it to you, okay? Don't miss this. This is so incredible. Verse 38, it says this, Luke 10. Now as they went on their way, Jesus enters a village, and a woman named Martha welcomes him into her home. Verse 39. And she had a sister called Mary, right, who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teachings. But Martha um, was distracted with much serving, right? Another translation says she was distracted because she was preparing a large meal. She had to take care of what was going on in that moment. And, And then it says this, and so she went up to him, to Jesus, and says, Lord, do you not care? Do you not care that, that my sister has left me to serve alone? Now you tell her then to come and help me, verse 41. But the Lord answers her, Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things, verse 42, but, but only one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen what is good, what is the good portion, which will not be taken from her. Now, you can see this whole thing shaping up from a mile away, can't you? I mean, Jesus makes his unplanned visit to, to their home, to the home of Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. Now, apparently, apparently, uh, Lazarus is not there at all. He's not mentioned in this story. Um, and, and I think that's probably true, because if a man was in the house, this whole thing would have turned out different. You know, women. Just kidding. But this, these sisters, they're bickering, right? They're, they're kind of jabbing at each other. Are you, you following this? And, and there's tension in this home, right? And Lazarus is nowhere to be found that we know of in this story. And so this is happening between Mary and, and Martha. And, and so they come rolling into town. And this is a big deal. I want you to think about this. Jesus comes into town with this entourage, right? Uh, everywhere he goes, he, he's got people with him. He's got his disciples. He's got his closest followers. So maybe a dozen people or more. We don't even know. But they come rolling in, and, and all of a sudden, Martha kicks it into gear, right? And she's going, oh, my goodness, what are we going to do? What are we going to do? I mean, this is, this is, like, true. Like, you think about this in your home, right? If, if somebody that you cared about, somebody that maybe you wanted to take care of and you were happy to see them, they come rolling in, maybe it's extended family and and there's 12, 15, 20 people rolling into your house. That's a big deal, right? Especially when they don't text or they don't call and say, hey, hey, fire up the grill. We're about ready to hit town in about a half hour, baby, right? So there was no warning going on at all here. They just show up and all of a sudden, 
the work has to start, right? Because they have to do all this preparation. Now, you go ahead and read the whole text to yourself, but Luke 10, you'll see that Jesus has been arguing, has been debating with some spiritual leaders. He's been teaching them. He's been uh, telling some stories to them. He's trying to make them understand what the kingdom of God is like. He's praying with people. He's, he's, he's healing over people. He's just ministering. And you get this impression that he's like, okay, we're done. We're pulling off the side of the road now, and we're going to dial it back in order to dial it in right? And so you got this thing going on. So they pull up to to this house. And so one of the sisters, Mary, when they enter the home, Mary pulls up a chair. And you can just kind of see this in your mind, right? And she's like pulling up a chair. And the scripture says she's sitting at the feet of Jesus. So she's like right there. And and she's enjoying him. And and it's like, oh, we're so glad you came, Jesus. Oh, we're so glad. I'm so glad you're here. How's the road? You doing good on the road? I know you've been out teaching everywhere. It's going good. I see the crowds are getting so big. It's amazing. It's amazing. I'm so excited for you. Pharisees giving you a hard time still, huh? Yeah. Rough people. Rough people. Hey, listen, it's okay. You can tell me. It's okay. Whatever stays said in Bethany stays in Bethany. I'm telling you right now, right? I mean, you can just see this kind of, she's enjoying this relationship with him, right? And she's got, you know, this understanding that Jesus is, is, is something different. And so she's gathered it all in and she's dialed it all in and she wants to connect with with him. And so you're catching this, right? Meanwhile, the other sister um, is in the kitchen doing all the work. And so if you ever get confused between Mary and Martha, like some of y'all were confused earlier, listen, Mary is the sister who, who finds herself at the feet of Jesus listening, and, and Martha is the one, like the, the Nazi in the kitchen. Okay, okay, you get this. So you can think of, you can think of Martha Stewart. Martha Stewart, right? But what do we learn from Martha Stewart? She goes to jail. It does not end well. Okay? I'm just saying. Now back to our story. Okay, now listen, listen. Uh, so Martha is frantically trying to tend to the physical needs of Jesus, right? Food and drink and appetizers and entrees to prepare and all these people running around. And, and Mary's just sitting there chilling out, loving it, having conversation, just having fun. And, and you would think in this moment that this would be a good thing because there's a division of labor, Right? I mean, every home's the same way. I mean, you come piling into my house. Somebody's got to be the hostess, which was Mary in this case, and somebody's got to do the work. Lynette, which is Martha in this case, right? I mean, somebody's got to stay in the living room with all the guests and talk to them, right? I mean, that's just how it rolls. I mean, you both can't scatter, right? And so you would think that this would work, but it doesn't work at all, at least not with these two sisters, because Martha's in the kitchen, and the living room's over there. She's got one of the little see-through thingamajiggers, like archway or something. And she's like, and it's just building up, right? It's just building up. I mean, it's never happened to you, right? You've never been aggravated with somebody else because they're not pulling their weight, right? Nope, right? But that's exactly what's going on. She's becoming more and more frustrated because she is in her mind going, there are 12 of these guys, and these guys are moochers. They are slobs. They are just, you know, I got so much to do. And and look at my sister. I'm telling you what, she is so lazy. And finally, she just snaps. She loses it. She blows a gasket. I mean, she just loses it. And what's interesting is one of the things that we learn is this. This is really fascinating to me. Um, she doesn't even, like, give Mary a clue. You, you know, like, I mean, just to be decent towards somebody, you, you know, she could have went like, hey, Mary, I need you, right? None of that. You know, she didn't even do the technique where, you know, when you're in the kitchen and your husband's out there and he's being lazy and he's got all his football buddies and you got all the work to do. And so you're in, the, like, the kitchen. Like, my, my wife is so beautiful. 
she's gentle and she's humble and she's just so cute. But, I mean, it's a technique that women use. I get it. You know, they drop the pans. They slam the dishwasher like three times in a row. Slam the cupboard. And it's like the hint. Like by the third drop of the pan, you're going, oh, there's probably something I should be doing that I'm not doing, right? And so you dial it in. But, but, but Martha doesn't even do this for Mary. She doesn't give her any warning. What does she do? This is really fascinating to me. Think about what happens here. She goes blazing in and bursts into the middle. Listen to this. The middle. Can you imagine doing this with the Messiah? She goes and bursts into the middle of this conversation. And she's like, let me tell you something, Mr. Holy Man. I mean, this is what's going on here. She like, you tell that woman. And she begins with this little phrase. This is, this, this almost is mind-blowing to me. She, what were the three words she started with? Don't you care? Pause. Could you imagine saying that to Jesus? Don't you care? This is the one who left heaven and lowered himself to become a man. This is the one who would soon spread his arms on a cross and die for humanity. And she says, you are an uncaring, uncompassionate human being. What is wrong with you? Don't you care? And then she ratchets it up from there. She says, don't you care? Don't you care that my deadbeat sister, and I added the deadbeat part, it's not in the Bible, but that's what she's saying, right? Like, don't you care that my sister is sitting here doing nothing while I'm out there slaving? And you can just picture, I mean, this isn't really in the text, but this is the way I read it. It just comes alive to me. You can see her just like with a spoon, like, and she must have been Italian or something, okay? (laughs) Now listen, my brother-in-law, he's from Italy, and so I've met his whole family, and those Italian women are crazy, okay? I'm just saying, okay? Like, if they're in the kitchen, you have to clear out. It is just what you do, you know what I mean? So they got the spoon thing down. And, and so you can just see this, like, she, she's just waving this spoon thing around, and you listen to me. You tell her this. Now, I don't know exactly what, what Jesus was, was thinking in this moment, but here's what I'm guessing. You know, in my mind, I, I picture Jesus thinking, would you relax, woman? Would you just relax for a moment? Why are you up in my face? Why are you up in my, why are you waving that spoon around, right? But, but listen to how he, he reacts. He doesn't escalate the situation. He's not like me. He's not like us. I mean, he is wise. He doesn't escalate this whole situation. What does he do? He, he doesn't go like, do you realize how inappropriate you are? Do you realize I am literally the son of God? God made flesh and I am sitting in your living room. How dare you? Put that spoon away, woman. Right? He doesn't do that at all. What he does is says two words. Two words. And, and this is an, you know, an ancient kind of a Greek way of, of ratcheting down a situation. He, he says, Martha, Martha. And, and this is really just an ancient way of going, take a chill pill. I mean, you have got to relax. You have got to back up the truck before it explodes. You've got to dial it down because you're missing this moment. You, you, you're not getting it right at all right, right at this moment. And, and so he, he, he totally uh, descales or de-escalates the problem. And he says, listen, he, he does an amazing thing. He, 
he speaks so kindly to her and so gently to her. And he says, I see that you're worried and upset about so many things. I see that your heart is churning this stuff over and over and it's just going up and up and your anxiety is going up and up and up. And he says, I want you to take a deep breath. I want you to relax for a moment, Martha. I want you to, I want you to understand what's going on in this moment. Um, and what's interesting is he, he doesn't condemn her. He doesn't judge her. He doesn't um, even say that she's doing anything bad or wrong. He, he says, I'm just going to make this observation. Your heart is deeply troubled. And then he takes it to a whole new level. And, and this is what I think this whole passage is saying. Not only to Martha, but, but to you and me. He, he's saying to Martha, he says, listen, I know all the work, I know all the things that you have to do, I know the preparations, I know the anxiety that you live with. But when I come to your house, when I come to visit you, I come for you. I come to be in right relationship with you. I don't come for some meal, some fancy meal. If I wanted a fancy meal, I could handle the fancy meal. Don't you remember like three, four weeks ago, I fed 5,000 people and I didn't even need you. Remember a little while back, I turned water into wine. I got the food and drink thing down. When I come to you, Martha, it is because of love. It is because of friendship. It is because of connectedness. It is because I wanted to get a place away from the tension and all you're doing is ratcheting up the tension. All you're doing is, is, is bringing anxiety back into my life and I purposely left all that to come and be here. And so no, I'm not going to send Mary back into the kitchen because those things I don't even hardly value at all. Yeah, I know stuff has to get done. I know that dinner's got to get made eventually. But this is first. This is most in your life. And friends, he's saying this not just to Mary, but he's saying it to you and me. Listen, I work for God. I get paid to work for God. And he say, says to me, and he says to a whole bunch of you, I don't want your busyness. I don't want your work. I don't want your effort. I don't want your applause. I don't want your singing. I, don't want, I want you. I want to be in right relationship with you. I want to connect deeply with you. And, and so maybe, listen, so maybe the answer is um, the antidote to anxiety, may, maybe the antidote to busyness and hurry, maybe the antidote to a thin life is a deep life. Maybe the antidote is not to hurry up and get more done. It's not to race into the kitchen and grab a few helpers. Maybe what Christ is speaking over you is maybe you need to leave the kitchen and leave some of those things behind that are so busy in your life. Even just for a night. Even just for a moment. Where you can somehow come and connect with God. Unrushed. Unhurried. Sit down in the great room or the throne room of Christ. And catch up with him. Connect deeply with him. Listen, friends, Christ does not care about all that you accomplish or all that I accomplish. He cares about our relationship with him. That is always first in his priorities. It is always first in his agenda. 
And friends, if we are not careful with this hurried life we live, we will miss what he wants to do in us completely, completely. So we're going to get open and candid tonight. And I want to ask you just some straight questions. Now, you don't have to raise your hand for this, but how many of you would say, you know what, as I listen to all this, I'm probably more like Martha. I'm just racing through life. I feel overwhelmed and overscheduled and exhausted all of the time. I just feel like I'm pegged there all of the time, and I try and I try to get ahead, but it seems like life is always ahead of me. Let me ask it another way. Do you think that Jesus' advice to Martha was right? I do. Do you think his advice to us to sometimes just to dial it back in order to dial it in is good advice? Friends, do you think that? I, I do. I do. I do. Um, I'm going to take you into one of my incredible artistic drawings you, you've come to love around here. Um, so I'm going to draw, I want you to imagine that this is a bucket. A bucket. That is a good looking bucket. Come on, people. And so, uh, and I want you to think of the bucket as like your life, okay? I, I, I want you to think of this, this bucket as kind of who you are. And, and I got a question for you. How do you feel? Now, think about this. How do you feel when, you're, when your bucket is full? You, you know what I mean by that? How do you feel when you're, when, when you're operating on all eight cylinders? When, when in, in your life, when there's some balance in there and you're, and you're connected with God, how do, you, how do you feel when, when you're connected with God and, and family relationships are good and friendships are good and you're, you're, you're achieving some things at work but you have this kind of balance where, where, where you're getting you know, your, your soul right with God and you're exercising and you're eating well and all that kind of stuff. How do you feel in those moments? Come on. I think you probably feel pretty good. I, I, my guess is, I would even dare to say you feel like you're at your best. You're, you're performing at, at your best. So when, when you're full, when you're, you're full in life, uh, it says to me that, that you're, you're, you're making your best decisions in life, aren't you? My, my guess is that when you're full, when, when everything is right, when there's balance, and when you feel deeply connected to God, my, my guess is, is that you're praying your best prayers. And you're hearing best the voice of God in your life. And my guess is, is when you're full, listen, when you're full in your spirit, not full in your schedule, not full in the busyness of your life, but full in your spirit, my guess is that you hear best from God and that you have margin in your life to obey his leadership. See, here's the problem. Sometimes we come into a church like this and somebody is uh, casting a vision for something in the life of our church and, and the Holy Spirit will speak to you. And he'll say, you know what? It is time to get in the game. It's time to go serve at Metro Kids or in the youth program or to clean this building or help build Riverview or whatever it is, whatever it is, whatever it is. And you go, yeah, I need to do that. And then you look at your life and there is no margin. There is no space to obey the voice of God. But when your life is full of the Spirit, not full of busyness, there's margin in your life, wouldn't you say? To obey the voice of God when he speaks to you. My guess is that you're, you're at your best financially my, my guess is that you're at your best with, with your body. You're, you're, you're moving in the direction you need to do with your health. My, my guess is that when you're full, you love best. You love your wife best. You love your husband, your spouse best. 
You love your friends best. You love your family best. You love your kids best. Heck, you even love strangers best, right? I mean, total random strangers. You're just nicer, (laughs) right? Because love is overflowing out of you. Your bucket's full, and it's easy to give. It's easy to become who God wants you to become. Now, let's just turn this the other way. What's the opposite of this? How do you feel? How do you feel when... When, when, you're, um, when you're down here, when you're empty, you know what I'm talking about? Like when you feel like there's no capacity left inside of you. How, what, what goes on in your life? My, my guess is that you're not at your best, are you? I mean, let's just be honest with this. Uh, so there are some words that come to mind when we talk about, you know, about when we're empty, when our soul is less than full. I'm telling you, a word that comes to my mind, my heart, I struggle with this, is resentment. You know what I mean by that? Resentment. It's like the very people that you love most, the very organizations that you're around that you love most, they demand something of your time and all of a sudden you start becoming resentful about that because you have no time. And you're like, how dare they ask me for something I can't even give? You want to give. You would love to be more present in their lives, but you're just resentful. You think about Martha, right? I mean, she loved her sister Mary. She comes out waving a spoon. You get in that kitchen, angry. You know, that's another word that comes to my mind is irritated. This is me. This is me. You become angry. You become irritable. Don't don't you feel that when your bucket, listen, is empty? You're so quick to judge. You're so quick to snap at people and and just, you know, that resentment turns into anger. I'm going to be honest with you. Just this morning, I hate to even confess this, but just this morning, um, I snapped at one of my little guys and I just crushed his little spirit. And after my wife, so good, she handles that situation, she comes back to me and she says, Jeremy, don't you ever do that again. That is not who God created you to be and that's not who you want to be. Don't do that. Don't become that person. You see, friends, when we're down here, um, there's not much to give, is there? You're running on fumes at this point. There, there's some words that, that come to my mind is for some people you become passive or you become a loner, you just kind of shrink back from all your responsibilities in life. When, when, when life gets so busy, you actually, instead of achieving more, you achieve less. And you go backwards in your life. Uh, for some in, in this room, when, when, we, when we run on empty for so long, we, we put our heads down. Listen, and here's what we do. And I'm kind of like this. We put our heads down and we say, I'm just going to work harder. I'm just going to fire it up, dial it up. Anybody like that? Like when, you, when you're down there and you're going, I'm overwhelmed in life right now. And so what do you do? You bear down and you go, I'm going to get this done. I'm going to boot. And at the end of the day, you get it done. But you're more depleted than ever, right? And it rarely works out well. You have so much farther to go to get full again in your life. For some in this room, when you're empty, when you're running on fumes, this is what we do. We overdrink. We overeat. We over-medicate. We, we find ourselves becoming somebody that we do not want to become. This is really true of me. Um, for me, I get scattered in life. When I'm empty, whoo, I am like a frenzy, man. It's like I'm spinning in circles. You ask my wife, you ask my assistant. I'm telling you what, it is insane. I lose everything. I forget everything. I make promises that no way I should have made, and I make promises that I fail to keep. 
It's horrible. I hate it who I become when I'm running down way near empty. It's, it's never good, friends. Some of us, when we get depleted, we escape to movies. We escape reality. We watch more sports. When we're depleted in our soul, listen, when we're depleted in our soul, we read books and we read magazines. And there are some in this room, you turn to pornography. You find your sexual fulfillment in places that you should not find it in. And, and there's a reason for this. It's not just because of this thing called lust. I'm telling you, I, I've looked into this. I, I, I have been with so many people who we've dealt with this issue. And it's not all about lust. It's about having a soul that's empty. Do you realize this? That when you turn to an artificial love, it is because your soul is broken. It is because your soul is empty. And you've got to figure out a way to go from here to up here so that Christ's spirit fills you up so you don't turn to the false things of this world. It's true, friends. I, I just know that when, when we're empty, here's what happens. Um, we, we do crazy things. We become somebody that we're not. Listen, we, we do things like we go take a credit card and we go to the mall and we shop for more stuff. And we think that more stuff will make our life less complicated. It's crazy. We create these bills and all it does is complicate our life. And stuff begins to own us. It's like turning to Mountain Dew for your energy source. It tastes good going down, but it ain't good for you in the long run. Right? At the end of the day, I know it. It's not good. It's just not good. And there are some friends, listen to me. There's some in this room. When, when you're empty, you will have an affair. And you will abandon the very people that you love most, that you are called to love most. When you're empty, you'll have an affair and you'll become somebody that you never dreamed you would become. You'll betray God. You'll betray your family. You'll betray your vows of commitment. You'll become somebody that you never wanted to become. So, so let me ask you, friends, uh, another question. Are you hearing me on this? Are you with me or is this just me? Because I'm telling you, I think this is, this is more of us. So here's what I want you to do. I, I'm, I'm wondering, if you were to, to draw a line in this very nice-looking bucket about how full is your life right now? Where is your soul capacity right now? I mean, some in this room, you're like, you're, you're connected to, to Christ. You're like, you're like Mary. You're there, you know? But some of us are probably down here. And I probably am right about here. And others are down here. And I can tell you, I don't want to be here. Not anymore. This will not end well for me. It never does. Let me, let me tell you a little story. When I left here last week, uh, I was so uh, consumed with this idea of simplifying, right? Getting the right things right. Focusing on the right priorities. You know, and one of the things that I decided to do for my own life um, 
was uh, to kind of practice what I preach, okay? So I, I come here all the time, and I, and I want to say this humbly the best way I can. I try to pour out everything I can to this church. I mean, I come and I give it my very, very best all the time. Listen, no, hold on. I try. And I say to our church all the time that you need to be part of the body. You need to grow by the teaching of God's word. You got to submit yourself to the teaching of God's word all the time. Now, being the lead teacher, I don't get to do that unless I do it purposely somewhere else, right? And I got to be honest, I'd kind of gotten away from this for a lot of different reasons. And uh, so I decided that I was going to dial it back in and I got my phone thing out and I learned how to I think I'll subscribe to these podcast things, right? And I'm like, oh, I'm high tech now, you know? And this is pretty sweet. And so I go to the gym and, and I get on this, you know, thing and I'm listening to this message and I'm like, wow, this is incredible. My soul was lifted and I was, you know, just feeling the presence of God. I was rejuvenated, you know? I'm like, this is good. It's what I got to do. I got to practice what I preach, you know? And, and so I'm listening to this guy and it was, you know, just lifted me. And so I go home. I go home, and uh, I'm, I'm telling my wife and my daughter, Madeline, I'm telling them, like, like, hey, I found this podcast thing. It's amazing, and I listened to this message, and it was blew me away. It was incredible. But then I say this. I say, and what was most amazing about it all was that the podcast app allowed me to listen to the message 50% faster, and yet the voice sounded the same. And this little button, you push this button, and it's 1.5 times the speed. I'm like, this is incredible. I was able to fill my soul 50% faster. And I'm like so excited about this. And I kid you not, my daughter and my wife are looking at me going, what is wrong with you? I mean, my daughter, 13-year-old daughter, says, she goes, she, she laughs out loud and goes, Dad. Didn't we just talk about not hurrying? And you're talking about hurrying through the feeding of your soul. What is wrong with you, right? I'm like, and it didn't even dawn on me. There's something wrong with me, right? I'm telling you, friends, we got to figure out how to feed our soul. And there is no speed dial for that. It's time. It's time with Christ. So I was with some friends this week and uh, uh, some people who have some influence in the life of our church, some incredible people. And we're in this meeting, we're talking about this session that we're doing right now. And so I asked around the room, I said, so how do you fill your bucket? How do you fill your soul? How do you complete this work that God has for you? You know, um, what does God do in you? And it's amazing what God does in different people to replenish their soul. And one lady, a dear friend of mine, she says, uh, she says, uh, you know, I, I, every couple months, I just need to get out of town with my husband. We don't need it to be fancy. We don't need it to be upscale. We just need to get out of town and, and just be together, and then I can come back, and I'm good for the next couple months until we do it again. But it's like clockwork. We just need every couple months to get out of town, you know? And, and, and somebody else says, well, for me, I just need to go and get a coffee and get a book, and I got to read. Like, almost every day, I just got to get away for a few minutes and just read, and I like to fill my mind with incredible stuff, you know, and uh, these books about God, you know, God's Word and all this. And I'm like, wow, you know, coffee drinkers, I wish I'd drink coffee, you know, but I don't. And, and so I'm going around, and, and one person says, well, I love to go outside. I like to do the garden thing and all that kind of thing. And another person says, um, I like to go to the gym. If I can go to the gym, it does something, man. It, it fills my soul in a way that I can get up the next day and go. I can just 
do it another day. You know, I'm listening to all these stories. Uh, it, was, it was absolutely, to be honest, it was absolutely amazing, right? Um, one person says, you know, I love to cook. And I said, well, that's funny. I love to eat. You cook, I eat. It'll work out great. You know what I mean? So this person just loved to be creative it, it, with their cooking, right? And, and, and loved to please the people around them through their cooking. That was incredible. But the wisest thing came from this uh, newer friend, really. He's a young man. And, and I, this kid don't know nothing about nothing, okay? Uh, but he said something that day that blew me away. Now, this is a smart kid. This kid, he's on it. And, and he said more of a philosophical thing, but it just caught my attention. It wasn't exactly how to fill your bucket. It was more about how to live your life. And he says, Jeremy, um, for me, I have to live a balanced life. And this is what I, I go, what do you mean, balanced life? You hear that all the time. What is balanced life to you? Then he said something that blew my mind. He, he, he said, he says, I, I need to work for purpose. I need to have a purpose when I work. It has to be more than just building a car or building a part. I have to understand why I'm doing it and how it works for the glory of God. I need to have purpose in my work. And then he said, I need to have rest for rejuvenation. And then I need play for enjoyment. And, and, and what was he saying, friends? I mean, there's so much truth there. I mean, he must have read that statement from somebody else because he could not have made that up. Because that is brilliant. And he's right. And it, he's absolutely right. If we lose our perspective, if we lose our balance, if we become overwhelmed, overscheduled, overexhausted, or exhausted all the time, we will never become all that God wants us to become. So here's what I want to do. Um, I want us to figure out where we start with all of this. Because if you're feeling what I'm feeling at all, um, I don't want to live my life here. I don't want to live that way. Not anymore. And so um, I just want to do something here. I want to read. Uh, I'm going to bring a little bucket up here. And I want to read to you from the book of Jeremiah. Um, the scriptures call him a prophet. Now, he was a prophet because he was a man of God. And he spoke for God. And uh, he heard from God. And in the second chapter of Jeremiah, something amazing happens. You go back and read the first couple chapters, you'll see this as clear as day. God's people, listen, God's people, their hearts was wandering farther and farther and farther and farther from God. He, he saw a people that at one time were completely full of the presence of God. And now their souls were empty. And they were turning their hearts from God. And they were finding their fulfillment in the things of this world. And it was like a cycle in their life. Fill it up, fill it up, fill it out, and, and then it was all empty again. Fill it up, fill it up, fill it up, it was all empty again. Anybody ever been through that cycle? And Jeremiah, speaking for God, he says these words in the second chapter of Jeremiah, verse 13, he says, for my people have done two evil things. He's looking at his people and he says, there's two things that are just evil among you. Now listen to what he says is evil. Listen to what he says is evil. He says, they have abandoned me. They have abandoned me. They have turned away from me. Their fountain of living water. He, he paints this picture, right? And you can see this, that, that God is like this never-ending drinking fountain. 
You're thirsty, you come and there's water. You go away, you're thirsty again, there's more water. And it never stops, ever. He says, you have become evil by abandoning your Father in heaven, by looking elsewhere to fill your soul, to fill your soul thirst. You're looking elsewhere. And then he says, and here's the second thing, and they have dug for themselves, listen, cracked cisterns that can hold no water at all. You know know what a cistern is, right? You you dig this deep, deep hole and you put cement and block and mortar and brick and anything you can in there to hold water. And the idea is that, that when, when there's dryness, you'll have water underground to grab. You've collected water in a cistern. There's something internal inside of you. And you can see the picture here, right? He's saying you built these cisterns and you tried to fill your life over and over and over and over and over and over. It's like a cracked bucket. It's like a hole in the bucket, dear Liza. You can never be filled because you got a hole in your bucket. And there's all kinds of things that can fill you up, but that's not where you start. Where you start is with your relationship with God. You start here. Jesus said it like this once. He said, you come to me and I will give you this river of life, this river of living water. It'll flow into your life. It'll be inside of you and it will never dry up. You'll always be full. But so many of us, you guys, listen, so many of us, we just settle for a cracked cistern, a hole in the bucket where we try to fill it up with all of the stuff, all of the stuff. And Jesus comes along to Martha and he says, stop it. Stop it. Come and sit. Come and be with me. This is where it begins. Americans, we pride ourselves on being busy and stuff in our our closets and our garages full of stuff. It's an empty cistern at the end of the day. This is where it starts. Sitting at the feet of Jesus. So I'm going to ask you to do something absolutely crazy. Just for three minutes, four minutes. Just amuse me. Nobody get up. Please don't leave. I don't care if you have to pee in the seat. That's fine. Don't leave. I'm just going to walk off. I want you to have this conversation with Jesus. I don't care if you even hardly know him at all. If you have any spiritual interest at all, this is where it starts. But I want you to tell him your frustrations, your anxieties, your fears, your hopes, your dreams, your disappointments, your regrets. I want you to confess your sin to him. Confess your sin to him. And tell him you love him. You'll know when we're done.